course, you guys should have all gotten one of these little pamphlets. All right? And so I don't know if you've looked at it. I know sometimes we get these things in our bulletins and we just kind of take and we toss them in our Bible. We never really actually open it up. All right, so I'm going to kind of explain it real quick for those of us that do that. I'm one of those people that I'll grab get stacks of stuff and I'll stick it somewhere and I'll forget to go back and look at it. So it opens up and in it is day one, day two, all the way to day eight. So it's a week and a, week and a day of prayer time. And so day one, it starts today, and that is the video we just watched. It's talking about that same group, so it's a day to remember them in prayer as we pray about missions and Lottie Moon. So their verse for this, this year's Lottie Moon is um, Revelation 7-9. So I want to read 7-9, and I'm going to read a little bit more, because as I read 7-9, I thought, well, that's great. And then I read 10, and I'm like, that's great also. And then I kept reading, and I'm like, I can't stop until we get to the end of the chapter because it's so great. Um, so Revelation 7, 9 says, After this I looked, and there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language, which no one could number, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were robed in white with palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud, loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels stood around the throne, the elders, the four living creatures, and they fell face down before the throne, worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessed, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, Who are those people? these people robed in white, and where did they come from? I said to them, Sir, you know. And then he told me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They, they, they washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. For this reason, they are, they are before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his sanctuary. The one seated on the throne will shelter them. They will no longer hunger. They will no longer thirst. The sun will no longer strike them, nor will any heat. For the Lamb who is at the center of the throne will shepherd them. He will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. I mean, isn't that just an amazing picture of what glory is going to be like when we all get there? It's going to be all the peoples of all the earth. We're going to be worshiping alongside those kids we watched in that video. Worshiping the same God in the same time and just lifting up his blessing. All right. And they're not going to be hurting anymore. We're not going to be hurting anymore. Our tears are going to be wiped from our eyes because God's going to be there and Jesus is going to be there leading us and guiding us in everything we do. And I thought that was important to read that whole passage because I think that's just a picture of the gospel and what, where we're going to. But as I was thinking about Lighty Moon this morning, I uh, thought it's important that we kind of understand why we do the Lighty Moon offering and why we have this as a important part. I'm not going to cover all of it. We'll cover more of who Lottie Moon is as we go forward. But the beginning of the Lottie Moon offering came from a letter that Lottie Moon wrote to the Southern Baptist. Kind of a complaint from, from China. And so I think it's important that we kind of understand the beginnings of why we do this supply. So I, so I found the letter online. I'm going to read it to you. So just imagine Lottie Moon coming back and talking to the people from China where she's serving as a missionary back to America saying, this is who we are, what we need. 
So in a former letter, I called attention to the work of the Southern Methodist women, endeavoring to use as an incentive to stir up the women of our Southern Baptist churches in a greater zeal in the cause of missions. I have lately been reading the minutes of the ninth annual meeting of the Women's Board of Missions, ME South, and find that the year ending in June, they raised over $66,000. Their work in China alone involved the expenditure of more than $34,000, besides which they have missions in Mexico, Brazil, and, and the Indian Territory. They have nine workers in China, and four more under appointment, and two others recommended by the committee for, for appointment. I noticed that when a candidate is appointed, straight away, some conference society pledges for her support in whole or in part. One lady is sent out is to be sent out by means of the liberal offer of a Nashville gentleman to contribute $6,000 for tra traveling expenses. A gentleman in Kansas gave $5,000 to build a church in Shanghai in connection with the women's work there. The efficient officers of this Methodist women's organization do their work without pay. Traveling and office expenses are allowed to the president of the Board of Missions. This money is to be used at her discretion in visiting conference societies that are not able to pay her expenses. Office expenses alone are allowed the corresponding secretary and her assistant, and also to the treasurer. A sum is appropriate for publications, postage, and light boxes. The expenses for all purposes are less than $1,700. In a word, Southern Methodist women in one year have contributed to missions clear of all expenses, nearly $65,000. Doesn't this put us Baptist women to shame? For one, I confess I am heartily ashamed. I'm convinced that one of the chief reasons our Southern Baptist women do so little is the lack of organization. Why should we not learn from these noble Methodist women, instead of paltry offerings we make, do something that will prove that we are really in earnest and are claiming to be followers of him, who, th who though he is rich, for our sake became poor. How do these Methodist women raise so much money? By prayer and self-denial. Note the resolution unanimously approved by the meeting above. Resolved that this board recommended to the Women's Missionary Society to observe the week preceding Christmas as a week of prayer and self-denial in preparation for this. Resolved that we agree to pray every Sunday, every evening for six months, dating from June 25th, 1887, for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the Women's Missionary Society and its work at home and in the foreign fields. Need be said why the week before Christmas is chosen? Is not the festive season when families and friends exchange gifts in memory of the, of the gift that was laid on the altar of the world for the redemption of the human race, a most appropriate time to, con to, to concentrate a portion from abounding riches and scant poverty to send forth the good tidings of great joy into all the earth. In seeking organization, we do not need to adopt plans or methods unsuitable to the views or repugnant to the taste of our brethren. What we want is not power, but simply combination in order to elicit the largest possible giving. Power of appointment and dispersing of funds should be left as, as hereto-forth in the hands of the Foreign Mission Board. Separate organization is undesirable and would do harm, but organization subordinate to the board is an imperative need of the hour. Some years ago, the Southern Methodist Mission in China had run down to the lowest watermark. The rising of the tide seemed to have begun with the enlisting of women of the church in the cause of missions. The previously unex unexampled increase in missionary zeal and activity in the Northern Presbyterian Church is attributed to the same reason through, making, through awakening of the women of the church upon the subject of missions. 
in like manner until the women of the Southern Baptist churches are thoroughly aroused, we shall continue on to go on in our present hand-to-mouth system. We shall continue to see mission stations so poorly manned that missionaries break down from overwork, loneliness, and isolation. We shall continue to see the promising mission fields unentered and old stations languishing. And we shall continue to see our other denominations, no richer and no better educated than ours, outstripping us in the race. I wonder how many of us really believe that it is more blessed to give than to receive. A woman who accepts the statement of our Lord Jesus Christ as a fact, and not as impractical idealism, will make a principle of her, of her life. She will lay aside sacredly not less than one-tenth of her income or earnings as the Lord's money, which she would no more dare touch for personal uses than she would steal. How many are there among our women, alas, alas, who imagine that because Jesus paid it all, they need pay nothing, forgetting that the prime object of their salvation was that they should follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ in bringing back a lost world to God, and so aid in bringing the answer to the petition of our Lord taught his disciples, Thy kingdom come. So that's kind of a, a kick not to just the women, but I think even to us men, right, in, in her so heart passion plea for the work of the gospel that we just kind of lay back and don't do a whole lot in our, in our systems. Um, one of the things she talked about there was missionaries that were just broken down and worn out because they just couldn't go any farther. They, they, they weren't receiving the help they needed that they needed to work on that mission field in those hard times. And so they were falling apart and not able to fulfill the call that God has for them in that time period. And so as we go through this time period of lively offering, let's remember that simple fact that this isn't about us. It's about advancing the gospel, whether it be to kids in orphanages or even local missions, all, all the mission fields that are available in the world. That's where the money's going to. It's not about making people cash and lining people's pockets, but rather it's about sharing the gospel. And I know... We know several mission people, people on the mission field that this money goes to help. And I know they appreciate it, but they appreciate the love and prayers that come with it even more so than the money that's there. So during this Christmas time, take time to pray for missionaries. Pray for the, the workers in the field that are out there serving day by day in tough places. Uh, so let us pray and then we'll get to some. Heavenly Father, we just thank you. We thank you for these missionaries that are out on work, Father. Father, we pray for this woman that is just, she gave up her life to work with tough kids, Father. She's willing to just not do what she wants, but to be in a tough situation and put herself there willingly and obediently to your calling. Father, we just praise you for the lives you've changed through her willingness and honoring you, Father. I pray that each of us will find a way to honor you in the same ways, Father, that we can obey your calling for our lives individually, Father. We praise you and we love you in every name. Amen. All right, so today we're going to finish up the book of James. It's been a, a long walk. We've been walking through James since, you know, about this morning, since the middle of July. So we're well, almost half a year now, but I think it's been good, but... I think one of the things we need to um, kind of look back is some of the things, uh, especially chapter one, we did reviewing, right? Can we remember anything that we reviewed from chapter one? You remember some of those little quick phrases I gave you? 
plug for cheat sheets. Have I cleaned my Bible out in the last couple of weeks? Is there something hidden there? All right, let me see if I can help with one. Be thankful. Rejoice always. And trust God, right? All right, so why should we be thankful, right? Remember why we're going to be thankful? He gives us everything, right? And we rejoice because we are whose children? God's children, his child, right? And we can trust God in everything because he's always been faithful. All right? Sin is, anybody remember this one? It's not an accident. It's, it's, not, it's a choice we make, right? And God wants us to have what kind of change? Heart change, not just a what kind, not just a behavior change. A heart change, not a behavior change, right? Now this one's for you, Don. All right. You gotta be quick to hear, slow to, and slow to. Slow to anger, right? And then God calls us to be doers, not just not just hearers, right? And then we talked about James 127 already today, right? Taking care of orphans and widows and, and loving on them. And so all that's chapter one in a nutshell. I think that was the and then from there I think we expanded in chapters two through five. We've extend, expanded on those thoughts. But those, if you remember those things in life, that chapter one, go back through there and keep reading through there and seeing those pieces of how to have a solid Christian foundation. And those things will change your life as we go forward. Uh, so today we're going to look at James chapter five, verses 13 through 20. So we have to finish up on the book of James. It's talking about prayer, which I think we all need to work on. We can, I don't think anybody's ever said, my prayer life is the best ever and I don't need to pray anymore and I don't need to practice anymore. I think we all need to continually get better at praying. And so James is kind of giving some ideas on what we should pray and how we should pray here as he finishes up the book. So he's, he, he left us with, begin with all those good pieces to think of and now he says, now go to God with it. All right, so starting at verse 13 says, if anyone among you is suffering, he should pray. Is anyone cheerful? He should sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? He should call for the elders of the church, and they should pray over him after anointing him with olive oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick person, and the Lord will restore him to health. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another, pray for one another, that you may be healed. The urgent request of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. Elijah was a man with nature like ours. Yet he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the land. Then he prayed again, and the sky gave rain and, laid, produced, produced, and produced its fruit. My brothers, if any among you strays from the truth, and someone turns him back, let him know that whoever turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save his life from death and cover a multitude of sins. So prayer is important. I don't think any of us would deny that fact, right? It has a way of changing things in our lives and changing our outlook on what's going on. 
And so the first thing it says there, it says, uh, as we're looking at like times when we pray, so the first thing it says is when you are suffering, my first thought is, is there a better time to pray than when we're suffering, right? When, as we've been talking on Wednesday nights, we talked about our suffering brothers and sisters in other countries as they go through times. We talk, we've talked about a family, a group this morning, that those kids are suffering, right? And so prayer is all they have. Prayer is where they need to go. When things are going bad, on our knees is where we should be, right? And we, as, they, as we go to God to help us in those time periods, Throughout, throughout history, suffering has led to not only deep prayer, but through deep prayer was deep revival. So as Christians were persecuted and things were going bad, that's when people's hearts were changed back into God because they needed this extra reliance that we sometimes forget that we need. Yeah. How often when things are going good do we just slowly let our prayer life walk away from us because we're not relying on God for things. When money's going well, we're not needing God to provide provide for us. We have what we need. I don't need to pray for food. I don't need to pray for more money to pay the bills because I have it. So when, what, what's my prayer to do? I'm not praying for the needs of the people around me anymore. I'm just kind of letting all that go. So first thing we do is we need to pray when we pray during times of suffering. The second time it says is when you're cheerful. And I think we, this is where we really kind of overlook things is when we're cheerful and things are going away. We just kind of overlook that and so one of the stories we can look at is in Luke 17. It's a common story. It's going to be verses 11 through 21. And it's Jesus, a story of Jesus after he healed 10 men with leprosy. It says, while traveling to Jerusalem, he passed between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten men with, uh, with serious skin diseases met him. They stood at a distance, raised their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he called them, he told them, Go and show yourself to the priest. And while they were going, they were healed. But one of them, seeing that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice gave glory to God. He fell face down at his feet, thanking him, and he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus said, We're not ten cleansed, where are the nine? Didn't any return to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he told him, Get up and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. So here we are. We have ten men that they came and they asked for healing. And when they were healed, only one came back. Ten percent came back and said, Thank you, God. Thank you for healing me. Thank you for doing what you do. The other nine went on their way. They went ahead and went to the priest and showed themselves clean. Things were taken care of. Their bills were paid, right? And they didn't go back. They, they were cheerful now. They were happy. They no longer needed the cleansing because they were already cleansed, so they didn't go back to the one who cleansed them. And so we have to ask how many times are we in that 90% that we go to God and we petition to him, take care of this, take care of my, my suffering, my struggle, and then when it's taken care of, we go about our day, and we live our cheerful lives, only to return again when we need him again, because we've left him after cheering. Far too often, I'm in that 90%. The third thing it says is when you are sick or unwell, call for the elders to pray for you. All right, cut. 
So when you're sick and unwell, so it's not just maybe physical sick, but other things that ailments that are causing you. And it says to anoint with oil, and as I did, did some studying on it, they thought the oil had medicinal purposes to it. So it wasn't just this magical thing you take a bottle of olive oil and boil on people it heals them, right? There was some medicinal aspects of it also, some medicines and stuff like that that were involved in the healing of the people, but it involved a lot of prayer also alongside that. So when people when we're not feeling well, we call call on people to come pray over us, then we can be healed that way. Now, some people take this verse as if you, if you if somebody's really sick and you pray for them that they won't die. Well, unfortunately, sometimes the healing in God's view is getting to go to heaven and spend time with Him, and there's an ultimate healing that that we all really crave, because on earth there will be no healing per se in that manner, right? We're all going to be sinners and we're all going to struggle. We're all going to suffer until we get to heaven. So then the, the fourth the fourth time is, is when you sin. So there's a lot of praying there, right? So when we sin, it says to confess your, confess your sins to one another, right? So it doesn't just say to hold on to it and just pray to God. There's a healing in confessing to one another. And that's one of the biggest things we have as a church body, or should be there as a church body. It's, it's not about just coming together and singing songs, right? Listening to me get up here and talk. The church body should be a family of trusted believers, not just a group of people that show up on Sunday mornings. We should trust one another. We should be able to have this fellowship and we'll... Where I know that if I tell you something in confidence as we confess, that there's not going to be a blabbing of it out around, right? Because that's not what God wants. He wants you to confess in, then you can work together. So as we're struggling with things in our lives, if we're struggling with different sins and areas where we're in sin, we can confess and be held accountable to that person. Now, I don't think this is meaning it in the terms of like the Catholic Church where they have a priest that comes up and you have to confess to them and they heal you of your sins. That's not what this is talking about. This is There's a healing in the confession as you let that, those words out that you have problems and there's somebody there to watch over you and help keep you accountable to it. But there has to be trust amongst each other, amongst the brothers and sisters. And it talks a little about this in Acts 19, verses 17 through 20. And it says, starting verse 17, This became known to everyone who lived in Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell on them, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many who had become believers came confessing and disclosing their practices, while, those who, while many of those who had practiced magic collected their books and burned them in front of everyone. They calculated their value and found to be 50,000 pieces of silver. In this way, the Lord's message flourished and prevailed. So as all these people brought their secret sins into light, it changed their lives completely. There was a story I read not long ago about the church in South Korea. They didn't have very many believers. There's a hole in the country, a few thousand people. And then one time, the, the group of Christians got together for a convention 
And one pastor got up there as he was preaching. He broke down and started confessing his sins to everyone in the room. And then another pastor, and then another pastor, and then another pastor. And soon the whole room was just confessing their sins to one another. And since that time period happened, within just a matter of years, that I think it was like a decade later, instead of being thousands of Christians, now there were millions of Christians. So much so that they started sending Christians to America as missionaries because they felt we needed it more than they did. But it all started, the revival that happened, it was because men got up and confessed their sins to one another. And they brought out the secret and the darkness into light and allowed God to change the hearts because now they could talk to each other and work with each other as they confessed to one another, I'm struggling, help me, change me. So sin has its own healing power there. Then the, um, the next time it talks about is when you need spiritual strength, right? There's, there's just times when we are so weak that we just can't make it, right? When we're, we're, we're starting to lose hope I know this has happened to me before I was at seminary and things were tough. Finances were tough because we would do, I was going to school, working part-time, had a large family, right? And, but that's where God has placed that. And the jobs I had, I was working as campus security and I was going to school. So I, and I was sitting in a little box every day. So I really wasn't even getting to talk to people other than people I was just doing with. And I started losing this hope, like, what am I even here for? What am I doing? I'm not out sharing the gospel. I'm not work. I work with Christians. I go to school with Christians. I live with Christians because everything was on, on the seminary property. And as I cried out to the Lord one day on that, just in my pity and self-wallowing, right, God sent somebody the very next day as I'm walking to class, not even in my uniform, I'm walking to class, and he, the guy stops me and says, hey, I see you every morning at the guard shack when I come in. Thank you for waving at me. Just lifts my day up. Right? And so that was just, to me, that was just God saying, just keep doing what you're doing. I have you where I want you. I have you learning. Keep being a bright light in people's lives, even in the midst of where I have you placed at this time. But that was, just, to me, that was a supernatural thing that only God could ordain that on the day that I'm crying out to him, that he would send somebody to help me to get hope back and get that resolve back into my life on that at that time. And we saw it here with in this passage, we saw it with Elijah, uh, not Elijah. Um, yes, Elijah. Right? God had a plan to, to shut down the rain and bring it back up at a certain time period, but it came through Elijah's prayers for that. Right? Elijah had no power to stop the rain or start the rain, right? God had the power. There's a supernatural power. Um, that was the sixth thing, is we, need, we have a supernatural power that we need. God knows what's going to happen. We saw it when he was talking with um, Lazarus. And we was talking about this with one of the kids the other day. So when Jesus got, was standing there in front of the tomb, he says, Father, I'm going to pray this, not for my benefit, because I know you've already heard my prayers. I'm going to pray, I'm praying this so that the people around you will hear me asking you to do this and will see that you are the one bringing Lazarus out of the tomb, not me. Right? He, had, he knew something supernatural was going to happen. It was God's plan. 
But he wanted the people around him to hear his prayer, knowing that that was going to already happen. I always thought that was an amazing story, how Jesus was like, I'm going to teach you guys a lesson. I'm going to pray a prayer. I'm going to tell you that I'm praying the prayer so he can hear it. But I want you to hear my prayers in doing this. Even though I know it's God's will, and I know God's going to do it no matter what, it's still important to pray about it and let God do his thing. And then the last thing it talks about in this passage says, when a brother or sister is straying. And this is a tough time for, for people, right? We have brothers and sisters in the faith that they stray off a path. And so then we have to ask ourselves, what do we do? How do we help this person? Well, if we go to them, they're going to think we're condemning them, right? They're going to think we're being mean to them. But at the same time, we want them to come back, right? And so in that, in that video, did you guys, I don't know if you guys heard it, the um, counselors, they said they would go out and they would seek out specific kids that were straying away from the community that they had built in order to just bring them back in. They would go look for one kid in that community and say, come back. Come back to us. Come back to our fellowship that we can lead you, that we can bring Christ along with you. Because if you're out there on your own, you're going to fall apart. You're not going to be able to honor God because life's going to be too tough when you're all on your own. And do we do that as, as Christians? Do we seek out those brothers and sisters that have been a part of our church family and then they've strayed off to the side, they stayed home for a few weeks and a few more weeks and just slowly they, they're no longer a part of us? Do we stray out for them, go out after them? Here it says we should be praying for those brothers and sisters. Pray for them daily. If we can't get them to come back, keep praying and keep praying. Keep reaching out. And keep praying that God can do his miraculous move through them. And so those are the important things in life, right? We pray. And so so those things we have, pray when we're suffering. Pray when we're cheerful. Pray when we're not feeling well. Pray when we sin. Pray when we need strength. Pray when we need God's power. And pray for our brothers and sisters. I think that covers... Pretty much what we need to pray for, right? James did a good job in covering just about every scenario that we could ever think of. So as we close today, we're going to look at, and it's one of the big things we learned in chapter one. Be a doer and not just a hearer. Throughout this whole book of James, James has told us a lot of things that God has planned for us. There's a lot of things that God wants us to do and a lot of things he wants to change. But if we stop with just hearing it today and over these last few months, and that's all we do, we fail what James wants us to hear. And that's that he wants action. He wants to change in our hearts. And he wants us to lead by example. And as we tied into Lottie Moon, I mean, I told you guys a few weeks ago, we have one job to do as Christians. And that's to go make disciples of all nations baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Your nation may be Sparks, maybe Lincoln County, maybe Oklahoma, but we all have a nation in where we work at, where we live at, and each person's little nation may be different. Our sphere of influence may be different than everyone else's, but we still have people that God puts us in contact with on a daily basis. 
So let's pray as we close. Heavenly Father, we just thank you. Father, we praise you. Father, you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And Father, only you can give us give us relief from our pains and our suffering. Only you can give us a cheerful heart. Father, I pray that as we go forward, Father, we will spend time praying with you and spending time with you and getting to know you more, Father, that we will just put action to the words that you give us, Father. As you speak to our hearts, as you change our hearts, Father, we will just put action to that, not just hold off and do our own thing. Father, we just praise you and we love you. In your heavenly and holy name, amen. Please stand.